You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Onyx is an app you can go and get from an app store and you download it and you put it on your phone and now you have a digital mapping service on your phone with GPS capability, right? So you can look at a topographic map, you can look at a satellite map, or you can look at their hybrid version, which is a combination of both. That's my favorite layout. The best part about Onyx, in my opinion, is it gives you the ability to leave these little things called waypoints. And each waypoint is information that you can use at a later date. For example, whether I'm using a or going to check a trail camera or I'm going to set up a tree stand or I want to leave a trail from my truck to my tree stand so I can navigate better in the dark. Onyx allows you to do so many different things that actually help you become a more efficient outdoorsman. Again, whether you're hunting or fishing or just enjoying nature, you can leave these waypoints and it's basically a journal of where you've been and what you were doing. You can also leave waypoints for scrapes and rubs or where you saw a turkey or where you found some mushrooms or uh look for boat landings or where you found a nice pocket of fish. All right. If you want to find out more information about Onyx, visit onyxmaps.com or you can go to your app store and search for it there. You can also save 20% by entering the discount code nation 20 for first time users. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 56, where we talk with Cliff Gray of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. Hello, and thanks again for tuning into the Transition Wild Podcast, the number one source for Western big game hunting. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving holiday weekend. You ate too much food. You, you snack too much, you drink too much beer, but uh, that's that's what the season's about, right? In America, that's how we do things. So I hope it, <laughs> hope it was a good one, and I hope you had time to spend with family and friends and shared lots of laughs. I actually had Thanksgiving the weekend prior, so on, a, on Thanksgiving Day, I went out and uh, did some hunting myself. I have a late-season private land-only cow tag that I'm still trying to fill. The season actually runs till the end of January, so I do have some time. But anyways, I went out for a couple days over Thanksgiving break, and the elk 
uh, were nowhere to be seen. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're, uh, you know, they're either there or they're not on this particular piece of property. And, um, you know, they just weren't there. I, I, I scoured the whole 800 acre piece for two days and only found a few sets of, of old elk tracks. So, um, kind of is what it is. It's not like you can, uh, bring them on the property or, uh, fence them in and shoot them. It's just, just not how it goes. That's, that's hunting, but it was fun either way. So I had an enjoyable Thanksgiving weekend recently. I got, I got a chance to set up my new expedition archery bow. It's the MX 16. It's the brand new 2020 flagship bow from expedition archery. And that thing is bad ass. I love it. Um, smooth shooting. It's got a new caged forged riser. So it's stiffer, uh, less vibration. Uh, they can changed up their cam design. Uh, so it's got a, a better draw cycle. It's, um, a great back wall. It's just, I, I love the bow. Um, I'm really looking forward to having them on the podcast here pretty soon. So, uh, stay tuned for that. Um, so I'm really enjoying that bow and, and shooting it. And what else? I don't know. I'm, I'm blabbing too much. So um, today's episode, we have Cliff Gray, and he he is the owner of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. It's an outfit in Colorado. They do deer and, and elk hunts, and he'll, he'll, he'll explain it in the podcast. But I've had him on the show. This is now the third time. And, you know, if any of you guys listen to the Joe Rogan podcast or kind of more that mainstream level, you'll notice he has on uh, certain guests on, on a regular basis, or, you know, at least once a year or a couple times a year. And, and I feel like Cliff is one of those, one of those renowned guys. I just love talking to him because yeah, we talk about some strategy, strategy and some expectations of, of elk hunting and, and, um, you know, what, what makes a, a good successful elk hunter, deer hunter here in Colorado. But we dive into a lot, especially towards the end, I'd say the last third of the episode, we're talking a lot about the state of Colorado and, and it's elk hunting and, you know, some policy uh, levels, um, where we're at with populations and harvest statistics, uh, season date changes for 2020 and a lot of good theory and analysis and just conversation from Cliff's experiences over the past you know, 20, 30 years of, of living and guiding and hunting in Colorado. So, uh, he, he knows both sides of the spectrum from the business side, uh, of being an outfitter to also the, you know, the hunting side of, of pursuing these animals and, and knowing the terrain and the environment. So it's really, really interesting conversation. I I loved it. Um, had a blast talking with Cliff. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get Cliff Gray of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, on the line with us now, Cliff Gray with Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. How are you, Cliff? Good. Thanks for having me again, Adam. You're welcome. I think this is uh, I think this is number three uh, episode for uh, for you 
guest starring on the podcast. So you're a you're a transition wild celebrity. <laughs> nice man. Time time flies by. I, I, and it's probably been over two or three years, so it's pretty wild. I know. Yeah, we've uh, we, we it's been a little bit since we've last chatted, and I'm I'm glad we made the time to to sit down and talk again because uh, you're you're the man when it comes to to, to talking elk and, and deer hunting on public land in Colorado. So I'm happy to have you. <laughs> Good deal, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, so what's the good word? What have you been up to? I know you're just coming off a, uh, you know, finishing up the rounding out the season here for elk and deer hunting in Colorado. What um, are you just kind of regrouping after a, a long season of guiding? What you been up to lately? Yeah, so that's you know this season for whatever reason ran a little bit longer. We had we had more later season hunts, and then my wife had a sheep tag, so we kind of went, I went right from guiding late season stuff for business to, uh, to hunting with her. So that was another six or seven day deal at the end. So we've, we've really only been off for like five or six days. So yeah, pretty much just regrouping, <laughs> catching up on all the stuff that, you know, that goes, goes by the wayside during hunting season. So yeah. And it takes me, it takes me about four months for that not to be the case. So, <laughs> I know, <laughs> so that's what I've been working on. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, cause like as a guide, you're, you're spending most of your fall, uh, you know, in the woods and, and, and doing that whole thing. And, and you got to come back to, okay, well I got to run a business too. So you're paying bills, you're, you're running the books, you're <laughs> managing a lot of that stuff. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just the administrative stuff. It's amazing <laughs> how much it, uh, I find, I'm sure you find that in your work and your podcast and everything else. All the administrative stuff adds up. Yeah, yeah. It's not always just the, the fun stuff all the time, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's the only thing of this business, right? Because people, everybody seems to want to be a hunting guide or outfit or whatever, and they don't realize only, only 10% of it's all the fun stuff. I know, yeah. I imagine, um, you know, with, with that, a lot of it's just – setting you're preparing right it's a lot of it's a lot of behind the scenes work and a lot of logistics i'm sure that go into moving people up the mountain get camp set up uh running horses all that yeah yeah, that's the most of the business honestly it's like if you really step back i think if you compare it to like most businesses uh and i mean i'm obviously probably biased or have a skewed perception of this but it's a logistical nightmare, right? Because <laughs> all your employees are seasonal, all your, you know, your whole, your weather, your business is very weather dependent and uh, has a lot of variability to it. And like you say, all in your, in a, just in, in an uncontrolled environment. So it is what it is. I think I've gotten used to it over time, but sometimes when I step back and look at this world from a business perspective, it's like, wow, you know, you just kind of, I guess you get, you get a little callous to all that, all that stuff. So it's not, but it, it does make me kind of laugh a little bit. <laughs> I know. You, well, you've been doing it long enough. I'm sure it's uh, it's 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 no different than than anything else for you anymore. So you're probably used to the little bit of a rodeo circus that that comes with the territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We try to limit it and keep it keep it under control. But it is what it is, right? For sure, for sure. So you you mentioned the um desert bighorn sheep with uh sheep hunt with your with your wife amy how did i obviously i saw the picture she killed a awesome ram but how did, how did that go is that a pretty cool hunt yeah no it's an awesome hunt it's uh we it ended up being longer than uh than i had anticipated I and mean, we have little kids so it's like for me and my wife we used to hunt quite a bit together 
before we had little kids. But for, I don't think that's the, I mean, I don't think we've hunted together like really on a multi-day hunt for, uh, I don't know, my oldest daughter seven, so probably seven or eight years at least. So it's kind of, it's <laughs> to doing that, but it's tricky too, because you got to have somebody watch your kids, right? So I, uh, you know, my parents were out here for a little bit, watched them for four or five days and we actually ended up, um, it didn't work out over those four or five days. We saw lots of rams. We were a little picky. And then also Amy, Amy's just very conservative about, you know, how she's going to shoot one in terms of making sure it's just a great, you know, good opportunity. She's all set. So we had lots of opportunity, but didn't make it happen in the first four or five days. So uh, I don't know if you saw the kid the, or the pictures, Adam, but we actually were able to get all my little kids in with the, in the picture. I saw that. We, I, I had to take them. I had to take them all, we took them all back with us. So we were hunting <laughs> sheep with a party of five, which included uh, my two-year-old, my five-year-old, and my seven-year-old. Wow. So, um, yeah, we got, we had a little, uh, a little luck was pitched our way too on that, but, um, <laughs> but it was good, man. They're, they're fun hunts. I mean, I, you, have you ever spent any time in that, in that kind of high desert stuff? Down I there? haven't, you know, that's a whole different world to me. Yeah. Yeah, and it 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 was kind of to me too. I mean, I've spent some a little bit of time um down you know down around that 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 canyon country, but not very much. And uh, it's I mean I I it's underappreciated because it's beautiful country to hunt, and plus the conditions are pretty nice, right? It's, oh, yeah. You know, you're never never gets below freezing, so <laughs> um or close to it, you know. So it's a it's a nice uh, change, but no, it's cool, man. The sheep are rutting; they're they're neat. They're a neat animal. Uh, they're they're you know they're very similar, obviously, to Rockies, but um, but they do have their differences. So yeah, it was fun, man. That's great, and uh, that that tag takes. I mean, that's a sheep and goat and moose are kind of a different point draw system, right? So like, how how many points? I mean, did that take a lot of years. For, has she been trying to draw that tag for a while, or what did that look like? Well, yeah, so actually the deserts in Colorado are pure random, so you can't, wow. they don't have points. So like, so you know when you, uh, I'm sure you put in for bighorns in Colorado yep. and you, you're probably accumulating points. So each year you can either uh, continue to accumulate points and put in for the draw for Rockies, or you you can put in for the desert random draw. And, uh, and most people who are accumulating points for Rockies, they're not going to give up a year to put in for the random desert draw. So, but my wife does, cause she doesn't, she hasn't, she hasn't, she hasn't been putting in for, for Rocky tagged. So, um, so it just made sense for her to just throw the random route. So she just got lucky. No um, kidding. Wow. I mean, I think even for a resident, I think those are probably one in 400, one 500 type of draw tag. Wow. So, um, Somebody's got to draw it, right? <laughs> exactly. Might as well be Amy. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> well, that's great. That it was sounds... fun, man. It's in, 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 it was a nice, I mean, it was nice because there's lots of, you know, there's lots of sheep in those healthy, so. Yeah, well, and, and to have the whole family there, uh, although it's, that's got to be tough logistically, but what an, what a cool experience to have all your kids there and, you know, to be able to be there during that moment. That's, that's pretty amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't think I don't think you could repeat it if you tried type of deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you had the odds stacked against you, I'm sure, with a, a party like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 but it's all good. We made it made it work. Well, very cool. Um, well, before we, I, there's a number of topics I want to talk about here today, Cliff, and just you know, 
we'll jump into them. But um, before we get started, for people who haven't heard you on one of the previous episodes, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. Yeah, so uh, I live I live in Eagle, Colorado, and then we operate our business off my family's ranch that's adjacent to the Flat Tops Wilderness. Um, the majority of my business is deer and elk in the flat tops, but I do a bunch of other, other species. And I, I shouldn't say the majority. Um, it's probably half that and then half all the other species accumulated, you know, accumulated up, but back based. Um, and, uh, like I said, we do it in the wilderness area and we do a mix of guided hunts. We do them out of a lodge that we have. We also will do them off the mountain and then we do a bunch of drop camps. So, Drop camps are kind of the do-it-yourself option, um, and that's of, of my wilderness stuff. That's a big segment of it. There seems to be a growing popularity of people wanting to be packed in and having some of the logistical support that we offer. Um, you know, just based on the fact that really the only way, only way into these areas is horse and mule or hiking. So we we kind of fill that gap in terms of the service provider, um, particularly in archery. Archery seems to continue to grow. Um, and so in our permits are continuing to grow, we've actually kind of grown our business a little bit that way. So I think now I have 11 or 12 different camps we use and, uh, that's kind of the wilderness part of the business. Um, I do a bunch of sheep and goat hunting throughout the state, uh, including in our core area around the flat tops. We do do some sheep hunting. So that's part of it. Um, that stuff's obviously all draw. And then I do just a smidge of private land stuff. Um, not very much at all, but a little bit. I kind of dabble in that. And then um, it seems kind of endless when I, when I say it. it's like I got too much going on, which I do. But I have tried <laughs> to get, get it focused down. Um, we, I still do a fair amount of bear, bear hunting in the spring in uh, British Columbia. And then I think, I think I've been doing probably nine to ten odd ad hunts here in January through March down in Texas. So... Um, that's kind of the gamut of things. And, and, uh, if anybody has any questions on that, questions on that stuff, I try to keep my, my website up to date and full of as much relevant info as possible. And, and the best way to get to that is ftguides.com. And, uh, that has a bunch of info. I try to keep up on Instagram and all that stuff too. So people can follow me on that. Yeah, no, you do a really good job at, at, at both the social media and the website. It just does have a lot of good just general information. It's just, and, and videos and, you know, what to expect, what to bring. Um, just, yeah, I, I recommend everybody to check it out. It's, it's a really good resource for sure. Um, do you, do you ever have, do you have ever, ever have anybody like come out with maybe like certain expectations or maybe unrealist, unrealistic expectations when it comes to like a guided, uh, you know, wilderness hunt? Like in my mind, I feel that like an hiring an outfitter uh, or a guide is is like like we kind of talked about earlier. It's more of the logistics. It's a it's a service. Um, it's an advantage for uh, uh, you know getting into the backcountry, having a place to stay, and then getting an animal out if if you're successful. Um, I feel like maybe some people, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like maybe some people have this expectation that maybe the success rates are like going to be extraordinarily higher because they have a guide um which in a sense they will be higher but i feel like the real value add of an outfitter is the logistics and kind of the support do you you know what i'm kind of saying there do you have people that have like unrealistic kind of goals or expectations for that type of hunt or is it kind of like everybody knows what's what's going down 
Yeah, so it's, uh, I mean, I think you nailed it. And the reason, the reason this stuff occurs is because um, not all outfitting is the same, right? Like some outfitting, like if you take my odd ad hunts, right? Like we have very, we have a controlled in, environment. It's not a high fence ranch, but it's a 80,000 acre ranch and we're the only guys who hunt it. So yeah. <laughs> we can monitor how many are there, when they're there, the quality of them, all of that. That outfitting does exist. And those variables are somewhat, you can control those to some extent. I mean, if they're free ranging animals, nothing's perfect, but you can control that stuff. When you're talking about the wilderness outfitting, a lot of this stuff's out of control, particularly, or out of our control, not out of control, but out of our control. (laughs) Can't, you know, I can't really, you know, I don't make management decisions, um, you know, in that area, I can't, I can't this year harvest X mountain and the next year want to harvest, you know, I don't have that control. So in the end, we are more of a service provider, right? Like the, the things that we can control, we do our best at controlling and that's all the logistics, all of, all of that stuff you, you already mentioned. So I think you nailed it on that front. Um, I will say that it's, it's not an issue really in, in my business. And part of that, and this, this, I'm not trying to like, say that I'm better at this than anybody else, but it's something I think I've been able to develop over time and the website and stuff is part of that. And that's it. I try to, you, the whole part, the whole booking part of the business is trying to manage people's expectations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Adam? So I don't, yeah. I don't want people to show up with bad, uh, um, or not bad, but, um, like expectations that are above what they should be or whatever, because, I could blame it on them for having those expectations, but it's still going to potentially be an unhappy person. So I try to make sure all the expectations are up front whenever we, we book people. That's a big theme amongst myself and all my guides and make people, make sure people know what they're, what they're getting, getting into. Now people can, you know, just psychologically, I think people have a tendency to sometimes when you're booking them, uh, look at it one way. And then when they're there, they might, things might change a little bit in their mind. Um, but that's very, very few people. If you do a good job of making sure people know what they're getting into, most people are happy and they understand what you're talking about. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, the wilderness outfitting, if you think about it from a business perspective, it's the highest cost structure outfitting there probably is, right? The horses, the logistics, all the crew and all that stuff. It's not, it's not opening the gate, driving out on a place and, and shooting something, right? Yeah. So, your, your operating expenses are very high and that's what, that's what the business is. This is a logistics business. Um, so that, that is true. I think kind of the other part of your, your, um, your question is it's, it's probably not so much related to people who go, uh, who go outfitted or, or drop camps or whatever. It's just related to hunters in general, uh, coming out West. And I think that, you know, people, there is a lot of expectations that are that are way high. I'm sure you see this with friends that come out west or, oh, yeah. or whatever, and they don't. They may be. They may have been exposed to some other type of hunting, and everything's going to be relative to folks. Um, but what I found is that people always like to think about like averages, right? They think, well, you know, they all average success. Say, what's you know this stuff and the problem is in this western hunting that doesn't matter like i can tell you that it's you know that it's we have 70 percent 70 80 percent success on our third season deer hunts right like i can say that but it's meaningless because 
I have years where I've got a hundred percent success with tons of opportunity. And then I have years that are 20% success. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the reality of, of Western hunting is that you have to, you have to deal with that. The averages don't really matter. What matters is there's a lot of variability and you got to keep at it in order to kind of have success over time. And that's the problem for, for people with their expectations. You know, this, this is that part of my business and, all this Western public land hunting, um, you know, for better or worse, you can't pay for it. You're not, you can't pay for dead animals. And yeah. that's, <laughs> that's just part of the deal. You know, I mean, I think that's probably what makes it special to a lot of people, including myself, but, uh, that's something that you got to really acknowledge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, and I try to explain to people too, is like, you got to look at Western hunting, whether it's elk or mule deer, especially public land as like a, not just like a a year to year thing. Like it's gotta be like a bigger picture. Like look at a five year average, like, like the stock market, for example, year to year will, will fluctuate. But if you invest steadily over a five or 10 year period, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna hit success. Right. And in certain aspects. So like one year or even two years elk hunting is not, it's, it's tough to get it done. I mean, I'd say it's, you know, it, it's very low, especially archery elk on public land. So like if you look at it over a five-year period, yeah, you might kill one bull or whatever. And I try to just tell people you, you got to spend the time, you got to, you got to put in the years, whether it's with an outfit, whether it's DIY, what is, whether it's whatever, uh, the more you do it, the more years you spend, you're going to have some sort of success, um, that way, I guess. I don't know. That's what yeah. I try to explain. Yeah, no, to that's, that's, yeah, no, that's, that's the, I mean, that's the reality. I think it's hard. Like, yeah, I mean the, the stock market analogy is probably perfect, Adam, to be honest, man, like everybody knows it. Right. And they can agree <laughs> to it, but then whenever it's occurring, it's hard for them to stick to the plan. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like if a guy like in archery hunting is the epitome of this, I mean, if a guy's like, well, I've been out, you know, I came out two years, and all I got, I got like a marginal shot opportunity at a cow and they expect you to be like, wow, like, you know, where have you been hunting? That seems like a bad area or whatever. And it's like, what, what my response is like, yeah, that's, you're doing about normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're hunting, if you're hunting seven, seven days a year and you're just and you're and you're figuring it out and you're, you're going up to the, you know, the, uh, the the um the learning scale while you're trying this like that's just how it is man like some guys come out and whack one the first time they go but it's not i mean it's not a reality you know what i mean yeah and i think the other thing i mean i'm sure you see it too is not every you know not not all the hunters are the same by any means in terms of skill set comfort in the mountains blah 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 all that stuff that we we talk about and worry about but the other thing is guys have have limited time. Like if you're coming out to Colorado and you're archery hunting four days uh, a year, you can't compare yourself to a local or, or maybe maybe not necessarily local, but somebody that comes here and spends 25 straight days. Bow yeah, hunting. yeah. Like <laughs> that's like, you know, like <laughs> you're, it's like a totally, and that's what people do, man. I think they get on these forums, they, they they watch people on social media and stuff and they don't realize like some of these guys i mean they're hunting 20 20 to 28 days in archery season oh yeah you know and 
you know, and they and and they'll one thing they get they get where their just their their skill set you know arises quickly, um, but the other thing is just time and the the luck associated with the time you know, so yeah yeah so yeah no I think those are all important things for sure I mean I had a guy out this fall he spent the entire archery season in this one area um, where I have hunters in he came out opening weekend he didn't kill till the very last week like three days to go like so i mean he was literally hunting the entire month before he killed one with his bow and and like you said i i don't think people realize so if you look that look at that in a percentage wise of time uh you know that person basically hunted four years you know what i'm saying like if if somebody's averaging a week per year they they hunted four years during that month um so yeah that's the way you gotta look at well and yeah, no, I think that's the perfect way to look at it. And I actually think that you have to you have to view it as that guy because he was hunting the same area, he was hunting like mostly consecutive days. Actually like his threshold for learning the area, learning the animals in the area, it's probably more equivalent to some guy coming for ten years. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Because the guy's there and he's in the same area. It's like any skill or any anything you're trying to learn, if you do it consistently you you learn it quicker right so it's like you know but if you if you hunt four days five days and then go home for 259 (laughs) days or 359 days and come back you don't retain anything you don't even remember where you were you know what i mean (laughs) um so it's yeah I, i i would extend what you're saying to the to the extent that it's like you're really talking the equivalency of a guy hunting for like 10 years in yeah, that spot. hundred you know? percent. I agree. Uh, yeah. So no, that's a, that's a good way to think about it. And I, and I, and I don't think like pe- people should be, you know, like should view that in a negative light. I think the, it's just a way to be honest with yourself and not get so down on yourself. I mean, I run in, I run into the guys that have hunted for seven days and they come out and they're like, I, you know, you know, guys with backpacks or whatever, and they're working hard. Like we all acknowledge that. And then like, we didn't see an elk. And it's like, well, yeah, man, you've only been here for seven days. The first time you were here, (laughs) you know what I mean? What do you expect? Um, and it's like, well, what they expected was more, but that that's an improper expectation, you know? Yeah, it really is. And I think, I think that can be tough for people to wrap their heads around, especially somebody coming from out east. They spent all this time. They spent all this money. They bought the tags. They bought the gear. They prepared. Um, they train. And to come up empty-handed one or two years or even three or four years is, is a tough pill to swallow. But that, unfortunately, is reality of public land elk hunting. It just is. So. Yeah. No, I think it is. I think it is. I mean, I, I do think like the one, one like huge positive factor of it. And this is, I think again, like with all the social media and stuff, it's hard for people to acknowledge this or maybe they don't get as much like, like ego boost from it. But if you do hunt these areas, there's over the counter stuff and wilderness and you hunt it for, you know, five, six, seven years, for, you know, not necessarily only rifle or not only archery, but if you if you hunt rifle or whatever, and you hunt these these animals that are heavily pressured, you come out the other end an astronomically better hunter. Oh yeah. Um, and I'm not like I'm not trying to knock anybody, but any, but but guys that you know they go hunt a state where you know they draw once every four years, and they go kill a 350 inch bull you know, every couple of years or whatever, 
and it looks like, you know, people have this perception that, oh, that guy's like an assassin, like an elk assassin. <laughs> I know, I know guys, I know guys that have been with her, have guided for me or whatever, who, um, when I, you know, you get a feel for guys level of, you know, just intuition about elk. And I know guys that all they've ever killed is a bunch of raghorns, um, but they've done it for years and they are astronomically better hunters than, than the, than the previous guys I was talking about. And that's generalization, but I think it's something that people can put their time in here and realize like all this stuff transfers to other hunting and it makes you better, better in the mountains, better in hunting, all that, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent agree. I love all that. Um, kind of along with those lines, what, what did your 2019 season look like for me? Um, you know, having groups down here and, and doing some hunting myself with friends and family, like, especially for archery elk this year, it was just a very bluebird like month. Like for example, like it was just sunny skies all day and, you know, got cool at night, but there was really no variation in weather. There was no, uh, like snowfall precipitation nothing to like mix things up a little bit so it was very like like for the rut for me what I experienced was just very stagnant very sporadic and and that's hell cutting again but I feel like this year was a little bit different in that regard because we just didn't get a lot of mix where I was at did you kind of see the same thing yeah, I mean, conditions were what they were, so you kind of, it was more, I would call it a grind. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's just the same deal every day, and it wasn't like a bunch of hope for change at any any moment. Um, you know, and it, it's always anecdotal, you know, year to year, Adam, but our, our elk were actually fairly vocal throughout the, the month, more so than previous years. Nice. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you exactly why, why that was. There's always so many so many different different variables um i i will find on the negative side of things our elk were more dispersed like across across elevation grade and and everything else so i think that was for sure in a massive in a huge area it was a matter of being the right spot at the right time right so if you had elk there um it was good they seemed to be relatively responsive you know, like I said, a fair amount of vocalization and not necessarily only in the last week or so kind of just, you know, across the month. Um, but if they weren't there, they could be, you know, you wouldn't, you might not find another group of them for a couple miles or, you know, a couple thousand feet in elevation change. So, so that's what made it tough for us during, during our tree. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Obviously you've been doing this for, for a long time and, and you, you've you've seen many seasons come and go are you able to like have you been able to put together any sort of pattern like if this happens like you know if it's a wet year a wet summer this this is what's going to happen or if it's a dry summer this is what's going to happen or if it's uh, have you put any sort of like correlation together over the years or is it just still in your mind like it's a crapshoot yes i think there's an element of just luck you know where the elk move off to stuff like that there there's always an element of that but i don't think it's a total crapshoot i do like in terms based on you know conditions uh what i always related to is to me elk are kind of like so i i grew up in a in a uh cattle ranching family so and elk are not that different than cattle really and and one thing that's uh 
you know, that's analogous between the two. And that's that whatever your summer, um, moisture situation is, and this is very, you know, dependent, this is also going to be dependent on where you're at, but up here in the mountains or whatever, whatever your summer moisture situation is going to be, is going to, is going to change the density of, or the, you know, uh, how dispersed the elk are. Right. So, um, and that, that I feel like is, is, I mean, like I, you know, one of the few certainties amongst elk, and that's that if you have a dry summer, like if we have a real dry summer, our our alpine grasses don't grow very well, and you won't find near as many elk up high, right? Yeah. They tend they tend to have they tend to have to hug that aspen conifer transition stuff even early on, you know. Um, when we have a wet summer like we did this year. Um, what you find is there's kind of, there's good feed everywhere for elk, right? There's grasses everywhere, up high, down low in the Aspens, blah, blah, kind of everywhere. So that makes, that disperses the elk, um, throughout the summer and then early fall. And then depending on, you know, that, like going into the fall, that's a pretty, I I think get a good feel for that i mean if it's been wet and there's feed everywhere elk are going to be dispersed if it's not they're going to be concentrated where there's good grass that that tends to be the case um but uh what i find is that once you have that like for us so our archery season was decent we had we had the vocalizations going on and all that so it was it was fine but the uh my uh rifle seasons were the worst i've seen in probably seven or eight years or so and i think it was related to this and that was because we had fairly wet uh summer and then we had no moisture no snow we had a little like dusting of snow but irrelevant to elk stuff um and so throughout the rifle season so you started with dispersed elk and then you just ended with dispersed elk right and that makes for for tough hunting it's a lot of country for for a certain density elk to be spread across. Right. So that was the case. And I, and I actually, you know, I talked to a lot of folks and they seem, at least in this part of the state, I'd be interested to hear what, what you guys said, but I, you know, I talked to a lot of fellow outfitters and public land guys and stuff like that. And they said rifle was pretty, pretty darn slow. And then the guys I depend on the most for info are the meat processors because they, you know, they're, they're not going to bullshit you about stuff. And the guys that, said it was the slowest they'd seen in four or five years so really so i don't know how how was it for you for you guys yeah yes uh similar um first and second rifle were pretty pretty dang slow just like i said it was just uh not a lot of variability there still dispersed uh third season was was uh a little better we got some snow and and uh that that certainly helped but even now like it's still um, like I have a, I have a private land late season cow tag and, you know, there's been some snow in the, in the country. And I was thinking, Hey, the elk, are, it's been a couple of weeks since four season. I just went out last weekend to, to try to give a go at it. And I was thinking maybe those elk would be pushed down by now and, and maybe be on the property and they just, they just weren't. So, uh, it, it's right. been one of those years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's just, you know, the, those are. You know, I think, let me back to your original question, like thinking about how oyster affects feed for sure makes a difference. And then, you know, and then of course, obviously your fall conditions, if there's no snow to concentrate them, then it is what it is. I think, and this is, I mean, just me thinking about it because all this stuff, you know, there's so many variables, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> um, 
the other thing that I found too is you, we had the combination of that stuff, and the other thing we had is uh, wasn't just a lack of snow. We actually had warm temperatures. Like mm-hmm. we had like, you know, like we had third season temperatures like up at ten two, ten three, where one of my guided camps are. That like, I mean, they kind of barely dip below freezing. You know, they're twenty twenty degree nights, stuff like that. And when you have that. Um, the elk and deer they just don't need to eat so you got it kind of like the double whammy right like they're all spread out plus they're not cold so their metabolic needs are pretty limited and ah. uh so they're not spending as much time up and about so that makes total sense i think that that yeah 100 percent. yeah definitely definitely does um one thing one thing i want to talk to you on is is just overall hunting pressure because obviously as as hunting continues to grow there's more people interested in elk hunting and the more people doing uh, backpack hunts whatever type of hunting um like hunting pressure is just becoming more and more of a one of those variables right like I'm, I'm sure you've seen it have you seen like a big increase over the years of other people uh in the wilderness like what did it look like 15 years ago versus now like do you run into more people now do you not, is that not much of a factor because of your style of hunting um talk to us a little bit about hunting pressure yeah so i think i mean there i'll kind of bounce around the question a little bit the uh the overall amount of guys hunting the wilderness, particularly in rifle season, like hunting the far back country, I don't, I don't think it's changed that much, Adam. To be honest, okay. Rifle on the rifle side, yeah. On the rifle side, I, I really don't think it's changed as much. I think, I think you've had a little bit of a transfer of uh, you know families that were horse based and had their own horses and stuff. Some of that has gone away, and more of it has been. There's more guys that that are doing the backpack thing, et cetera. But I don't think that the rifle pressure in the backcountry has uh, increased that much. I mean, I think per like per capita of elk, it's much higher. There's less less elk in a lot of these backcountry areas. But I don't think the pressure has changed that much. In archery, it has for sure. I'd say there's a whole hell of a lot more pressure now. Um, and I think that has to do with the fact that there's it's more livable for backpack guys. You know, I mean, the reality is, I mean, guys can tell me whatever, but once, once rifle season hits for us, the backpack guys just don't last Yeah, up where our camp too hard living, you know, but in archery, they do just fine. So what happens is you, you do, you for sure have more pressure around during archery season. I think that's across the state. And I think, I think they, the state even has numbers that kind of, kind of coincide with that, that archery's grown quite a bit. So you see that, um, you know what I find the biggest variable in a hunting pressure is, I mean, I guess it's pretty obvious, but it's just the economy, right? So ah, yeah. when, when the economy is pretty good and people have more extra, you know, extra income to go hunting out West and then you see an uptick in people like a general trend uh, uptick. And I would say like the last three or four years we've had that, um, and that makes sense, right? I yeah, mean, it, it totally it, does. Regardless if you're, regardless if you're going guided or not, uh, it you know it takes a lot of money to come out here and go hunting for people. So, um, and even locals, they hunt more when the economy's good for sure because they can take time off and, and stuff like that. So, um, so I think that's the biggest variable. And then, I mean, I don't like our stuff. Probably has one tenth of like the the accessible area stuff. So I don't think it affects us much either way. 
Um, but, uh, there seems to be like a little cycle to it too. Like if one area has a bunch of, you know, a few people camp into, or, uh, you know, um, backpack in there, there'll be, it'll be kind of more pressure in there that year. And then the next year there'll be nobody in there because everybody thought there was pressure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's hard to, it, it it's hard to gauge, but you see like a little, little cycle to that, right? Like, Oh, there, you know, there's other people in there, so let's change. And then everybody else does that. So then that spot really doesn't even get hunted. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, my, my, my general thought on it really is I don't think when you account for everything, I think it almost has zero impact on success. I know, I know in my camps and stuff, um, that it essentially has no impact. If there happens to be somebody that backpacks in a mile from one of my drop camps, it, it really statistically, I don't affect, I don't think it affects my guy's success at all. Um, cause there's some pros and there's some cons, right? Um, I, I, it obviously people's perception it does, right? Yeah. Uh, they, they want to be, they want to be alone. They think, I mean, people's natural reaction to if they don't, if something gets, gets messed up or whatever they're going to try to blame it on some external factor and so uh you know some some backpackers that packed in or or, you know they can they can be that that out you know what i mean so you see that i'm sure you see that like everybody sees that in hunting right like like how many people say like oh like those guys over there on that ridge man they they seem to be doing a really good job of hunting over there it's always like it's always like some made up thing like you, you know what I'm getting at like yeah. oh those guys are doing this or that it's like no they're probably hunting just like you you know what I mean <laughs> they're they're having the same troubles you are that's uh no different yeah <laughs> yeah and they're probably making some of them the same mistakes and you you know you are too and it's what whatever you know what I mean but we like to blame it on other other folks I yeah it's, yeah it's kind of funny but um but yeah, no, so that, that's my thought on it is it's, uh, there's no doubt, like the more, the better the economy is, there seems to be a little more pressure and that, and that could be, uh, I might have a little bit, um, uh, a little bit more exposure to that because, um, it's a little more, it's a bigger endeavor, right? Even the backpack guys that go into the wilderness or the, or the guys that take their own llamas or horses in or whatever, like that's, it's expensive. Like even to get all geared up to backpack into the wilderness area is, you know, I mean, most guys are going to spend 1500 bucks, 2000 bucks just on gear. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And, and, uh, you know, a little story on my part, like my, the year I killed that bull or my, my first year, um, where I killed that bull, uh, I was going to an area and I, I come up to the parking spot and, um, as I pulled up, another guy pulled up as well. And, I had plans to hunt this, this other area or this other meadow and, and kind of the surrounding parts of that. But I asked him where he was going to hunt first and, and, uh, he said he was going to hunt that spot. So I was like, okay, you know, I was like, ah, damn it. I really wanted to go there. Cause I feel like it'll be a good spot. <laughs> um, but instead, you know, that, that hunting pressure, I guess, or him going to that spot changed where I was going to go. So I, I went to a different spot and ultimately killed that bull there's not much that kind of relates to that, but like what I say is whatever happens happens. And if there is something that comes up, like you just have to play off it and you never know what the hell is going to happen. I mean, I just, just roll with the punches. Elk hunting's all about 
overcoming obstacles and just staying in the game. Uh, and that's, that's all you can do really. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I think, I think, I mean, this, this is going to sound like woo woo kind of deal, but I think the other thing is like staying positive about it. Right. Like, so you could have ran into the guy in the parking lot. He's going to go to your spot. You could have been like, well, you know, my day is ruined. This guy is a, this guy, you know, is taking my spot. Like, and yeah. then you could have just like walked around the woods, trouncing around with your, your eyes down at the ground, feeling pity for yourself. And, and it sounds ridiculous, but people do that. Oh yeah. I'm sure you see it, a lot. They'd be better off going home. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean they'd, be, they'd be better off just going home because the guy ruined their day or whatever. Um, but if a guy's like, Oh, all right, cool. Like, um, I'm going to go, I got a, I got a plan B or whatever, and I'm going to make the best out of the day. Like, I mean, really statistically, the difference between that spot and the spot you originally want to go to, like the other spot might've been like 2% better. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you, what really matters is the fact you're still out there, like, like making the best use of your time, you know? And so, uh, exactly. I think, I think that's a good way to, good way to look at it, you know? Well, I think, and then like, oh, well, go ahead. go ahead, man. No, you go ahead. Man. Well, I was just saying like some people, I think a lot of people get caught up in like this, like notion that elk should be here or they envision elk like screaming in the Aspens, you know, like that, this spot, like you kind of develop a, uh, what do I want to say? Like a, like a a relationship with maybe a certain area, especially if you've hunted there before. And like you, you dream that or you expect the elk should be in the spot when I think a lot of people just maybe should, should concentrate on just grinding it out and, and finding out play, playing off the day, but not getting caught up in, in too much of the other stuff. I, I guess I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but like, I think a lot of people get attached to certain areas and expectations and, things like that when it's yeah there's a lot of variables you know oh yeah yeah but i mean there's for sure i, I mean i think what you're talking about totally exists I and mean, there's for sure people that would pull up to a trailhead if if you know that and they they know the area real well and there's a certain spot where they tend to have success and they got to chatting to somebody chatting with somebody and they got and they find out the guy's going in there and they would literally just get back in their vehicle and go home like there's <laughs> yeah. people that do, would do that for sure like and they're just like well that's my spot and you know it's all messed up you know usually entails like oh some non-resident screwed my spot up or whatever you know <laughs> something like that the people love to say that kind of shit too but it was just just it's all funny but um but yeah and then and so there are people that get caught up in that but yeah i mean what's the harm in go learning a new spot? You know what I mean? You, you find your original location by trial and error anyway. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. And, you know, I, I think we, well, we talked about it before a little bit too, but the reality is, is when there is pressure around, um, like I was telling you, I score for both Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett. So I see a lot of bigger bulls that get killed in this part of Colorado and if they come off of, you know, highly pressured areas, over-the-counter stuff, generally a guy got into a good spot, like in the, you know, where a couple trails come across or there's a little open spot outside of some timber where elk have to move across when they're moving or whatever, and he just kind of got lucky. I mean, part of it was he knew, he knew how elk move around that area, but he's just sitting there and he's looking at a trail and there's other hunters around and just a big bull comes running 
across the meadow at them or something. I'd say like 80% of those real big bulls, like those 350 plus inch bulls that come off over the counter stuff, they're killed like that. No um, kidding. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's, that it's, I mean, it's, it's way statistically significant that, that a lot of in rifle season in particular, there's a lot more bull, big bulls killed like that in over the counter units than there are. I'll tell you what's rare is that if I, if, if there's a bull that got killed in an over the counter unit with like a 365 inch bull or something, you know, which is a behemoth for, yeah. for Colorado. If you got a bull like that, what's rare is for the guy to say like, Hey, and I found this bull in the summer. Um, I kept scouting for him. I informed, you know, a solid week before the season, I was watching him, you know, blah, 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 got in there the first day and killed him. That's really rare. <laughs> uh, in Colorado in heavily pressured over the counter stuff. It's really rare. I mean, I can't even think of one that a bull, a bull elk that's been killed like that, like mule deer and stuff. Sure. Like guys can watch them. They know where they're moving, blah, blah, blah. But big, big bulls, it's almost always an element of luck. A guy in the area pretty, pretty good. He knows how to situate it, situate himself where his probability is high. That is to be the case on all those big bulls. Um, and yeah. that's, that's different than most people's perception. I think in part of that is because other places where elk are not truly pressured, you know, Arizona, some of the units in New Mexico, like, you know, some of the trophy units in Colorado, stuff like that. Yeah. You can that stuff. Like you could, you could probably scout elk, you know, pick one out, do all that and kill a big bull. That's, you know, that's, I think a lot of that is how we perceive a lot of this, the stuff that we see off of the media in terms of these hunts. But big bulls at over the counter units, super rare. It, I mean, I can't, I can't think of one that's killed that way. <laughs> they're all, they're all killed by a guy that's just in the right spot. And you know, I'm not saying it's total luck. It's not total luck, but it's, it's part of a guy just being in the right spot. And you know, a, a five by five or a raghorn could have came out. The guy would have blasted it. But instead, just some big behemoth bull came out and <laughs> shot it instead. Exactly, exactly. Yep, that's just that's just how it goes. I uh, I saw a photo, a recent photo from I think this past this past season. You had a couple archery hunters um, in camp. They they've been longtime returning clients. They've they've hunted with you for a number of years, and uh, I think you mentioned something along the lines in the photo, like. There haven't been a lot of years where I don't remember them coming out, you know, heavy or like them not getting an elk. Um, do you do you have any inclination? Like, why is it those two? Why are those two guys maybe more successful than than maybe other hunters? Like, obviously they've been doing it longer, but do you think they're doing things maybe a little bit differently than maybe maybe somebody who's who's a beginner? Like, what makes them so successful? Yeah, so uh, those guys have—they've come every year. I, I can't remember the last time they haven't—they haven't hunted with us. Um, it, that was actually—it was actually a rifle hunt. Those guys hunt rifle. Oh, okay. But Got those it. guys all, always have high success. I mean, if somebody wanted like an average success rate of those guys, it's high. Like it's between deer and elk. I mean, I bet it's in the seventy, eighty, ninety percent wow. type of deal. You know what I mean? And I have—I have guys like that. I, I've I, I have, you know, certain groups that for sure reach, uh, reach that, but they're real consistent about it. So it plays on a lot of the themes we're already talking about. Um, and one of those guys 
Rick would be a great guy for you to have on one of these days, Adam. He, he's yeah, I'd love to talk to him. I, I think he's, he's, I, I can get you his contact info. Okay. But um, uh, the the thing, and so he could he could give you his perception of it. Um, but there's a massive variance between hunters. That's just a that's just a fact. Um, I, you know, I would I would I would say some hunters probably are about five percent as effective as as other hunters, right? And so that seems it seems like there's that seems pretty darn extreme, and it's just the case. So I think part of that um, is just basic stuff, man. Like there's nothing. I think part of it really is that some guys want to get something else out of the hunt, and some guys are just like very very intense about the hunting component of it. So that's going to always be a big factor. You know what I mean? And I'm like I get guys that come out and they don't mind the fact that they're enjoying the camp and they're really probably only hunting 30, 40% of the time. You know what yeah, I mean? It's the experience, but I have other guys like these two guys that you're talking about. They hunt every day. They hunt all day, you know, that kind of stuff. So those are like the basic things are to maximize your opportunity rate, hunt every day. Um, and then kind of related to that is being like, once you kind of know the area, is be in the primo spots before it gets light in the morning and don't, you shouldn't be back at camp. You shouldn't really be hiking back to camp until after dark, like every day. Right. Yeah. So if you do those two things and those are like pretty basic has nothing to do with like some, you know, uh, machismo, we're a big hunter deal. It's just like reality, right? Like kind of time related <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. it's not that big a deal but those guys every day they they do that i think they would tell you that is they they hunt pretty hard in that regard um and kind of tied into that in terms of like being in the spots during the prime times is they also know the area as well right i mean a lot of my hunting area those two guys probably know better than i do you know because they've spent a lot of time in it um so that part of the deal. And then I'd say, man, if I had like some, just like rule some things, I, their success rate, they understand, you know, elk behavior, particularly they understand where elk bed and they, they know where not to, where not to kind of waste time slash booger up areas. Yeah. I think they're good at that and they stick to it. Um, I think the other thing just mechanically, I think they take advantage of opportunities um, that arise, right? So like if it's rifle guys, you know, and, um, they end up too close to elk and there's bulls running the minute those bulls stop, their guns go off. Yeah. Right. And so like, it's that type of guy, if it's archery guys, they don't miss, they don't, you know, they do their setups, right. Stuff like that. It sounds kind of petty, but it matters in these type of hunts. Like it's, it's a huge difference because you might only have one or two of those in seven days or five days or whatever. Yeah. So if you don't take advantage of them, then you're going to be, it's different. You know what I mean? You, you can't, your, the end result's going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the things, the other things that I think are probably just harder to duplicate and take time. And this is a, to, to me, I think there's a bunch of stuff that we don't perceive um, that, that we, we learn as humans, like once we're, we're out there and it's a repetitive thing, like we're hunting for elk, you know, we, you do it enough times, you kind of, there's things that get ingrained in your brain 
that you probably don't even realize, right? Like I, I notice it kind of when I'm glassing with people or I'm guiding, like let's say I'm guiding a guy and we're sitting down and I'll, you know, we're, you know, we're both glassing and the guy's got good optics and stuff and I'll find some elk and then we'll go to another spot, I'll find some elk. Sometimes guys will say to me like, man, your, your eyes must be good. Or, man, you're, you're so good at finding elk and it's, has nothing to do with that. I'm not good at finding elk or my eyes aren't better or anything like that. One, I've been to the spot, so I kind of know the areas to spend my time on looking. Yeah. But I think also like you develop a, you develop an intuition of like where to spend your time glassing. Like your brain just takes you to those spots. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And you, and you, and you kind of know what, you kind of know what an elk, what elk look like when they go through the timber, right? Like, and so your brain like picks up on that little flash of a, you know, of a, of a cow's back or something like that. So all that stuff, I don't know that you can duplicate, man. Like it just, you just, you have to like spend some time. You yeah, know you what really I mean? Can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure you know the little things that you've been with friends that are, haven't been, and they may be hundred, they may do a lot of other hunting, but they don't hunt elk. So, you know, or they don't hunt mule deer or whatever you have to be hunting. So, you know, and, and I, and I've, as I've hunted different species, I've had the same thing happen. Like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see an odd dad to save my life for like a week straight. You know what I mean? And then yeah. whatever your brain just gets in tune with it. So I don't think we can discount that. It may, there's no doubt it makes a big difference. Um, I think knowing the area, knowing how to get around that sort of thing. I, and the other thing is I think like just for this Alpine stuff or like, you know, alpine slash subalpine type of hunting um just being comfortable in the mountains is a big deal man like a lot of guys who aren't comfortable in the ma- comfortable in the mountains they don't like to travel in the dark they get tired you know like that element of it i'm sure you've seen that with yeah too. yeah like the two guys you're talking about are, are mountain guys i mean they could like if they had to spend a night up there third season away from the camp like they'd be fine yeah. you know what i mean yeah yeah so yeah and that's, that's i think those are all things yeah, that's, that's rare. Um, you know, for myself coming from, I, I had a big learning curve with that or just, just becoming more comfortable with, with the mountains, like coming from Michigan, a, a 300 acre flatland farmland, you know, rolling Hills was, was a big chunk of land for me. Uh, you come out to the, the mountains and you're dealing with no service. It's tough terrain. It's, uh, you know, there's animals out here that could potentially mess, mess you up a little bit. Uh, you know, all that stuff weighs on you. And if you're not used to that environment, you do find yourself going back to the truck, you know, well before, uh, it gets dark and, and, you know, during doing certain things you probably shouldn't be doing, or, you know, not putting in the, the right amount of time because you just, strictly not comfortable with it so yeah i see that all the time and and i I experienced it myself oh yeah oh yeah 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 it's and and, you know at times i i i mean it's all relative right like you get in certain comfort zones on certain types of hunts and in you you in areas and stuff like that and i think anybody i mean i notice this all the time when i go into a new area like when we were on my wife's desert sheep hunt like I very quickly realized like, oh yeah, like I do need to have like some repetitive like ways to navigate here because I don't know the country and it's rim rock, right? So like yeah. getting up, you, you got to use the same spots you went up as you do down and you're in the dark. So like, 
you know, in the flat tops and stuff, I don't worry about because I know the country so well. But over there, like, I quickly realized, like, yep, no, I got to make sure I got duple, you know, you know, I got my Onyx plus I got a GPS or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and those are all things that, um, it, but the, but like getting to the point we're talking about is like the first time it happened, like it kind of takes your breath away a little bit because you're like, ooh, like I'm on the border, you know, I'm on the border of like an unsafe situation. It can kind of, <laughs> It can get you real conservative real quick. Yeah. And I, and I see it amongst hunters a lot. Um, and so that's like my biggest recommendation to people who are coming out here is like, guys are like, okay, I want to come out in the elk hunt in Colorado, right? It's like, well, have you ever spent any time in mountains, like real mountains, right? Because it's fine if you haven't, but realize that you're, you're like, you're going on a journey that involves learning like a lot of different things at once. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. not like, you know what I mean? And so, um, and I think if guys take that into account, I think like, yeah, you know, you want to make sure you got the right gear and you're all safe in that regard, but you're also like in your mind, like ready to take care of stuff. You know, like, yeah, if you get lost at like you get lost in the mountains, it's scary. But if you know, you can start a fire, you know, you can get through the night most likely you're not going to stay lost because you're not going to have that like panic thing going. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then you'll just figure it out and whatever. So, um, to me, that's a huge one, man. I, I mean, I think it's hard for guys. will never, I mean, guys will never focus on that as much as they should because it's, I, I think it's just because of media stuff. You know what I mean? Adam, like yeah. they don't show much of that in on hunting shows or, or whatever, or, if guys are learning about elk calling or well, I mean, I mean watching 200 YouTube videos about elk calling before you come out to Colorado for an archery hunt is way less valuable than watching, you know, learn, just trying to learn a bunch about mountain survival. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, totally agree. If you come and you're comfortable in the mountains, you're way more likely to kill one, even if all you do is know how to push on a hoochie mom cow call. <laughs> you know what I mean? so it's my take on it at least i love it i think that's a really good take and i think it's an overlooked thing um to a lot of people especially the the beginners um i think it's just not many people focus on it and i think that's a big part of it and i just think back over my first couple of seasons i i was not comfortable you know it's just not it's just hard to do if you're just not used to growing up in that environment or and it just takes time it's going to take time that's all it yeah, is. Yeah, no, I think it's and yeah, and I and I think it's everybody too. I mean, there's people that live here in Eagle that I guarantee you if they went up, you know, they don't hunt that way, right? They just hunt from the roads or whatever. Yeah. And some of them are super effective, but once you start doing all that backcountry stuff, I mean, you really um anybody that comes out here and does man, I don't care if they're a navy seal or whatever, if they don't have a little butterflies in their stomach at some point during their hunt, they're 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 not they're at like 20% of the effectiveness they should be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's my thought on it. 100%, you know. 100%. Um, speaking of Colorado, for, for next year, for 2020, Colorado Parks and Wildlife just just released their new five-year plan um, for season day. It's like, what do you think of the kind of the new structure of – archery season it's starting september 2nd going to the end of the month and then it looks like they've played a little bit with the rifle seasons pushing them back and then maybe i think they shortened 
some of them as well. Like what's, what's your whole take on thing? How's it, is it going to affect you? Um, what are your overall thoughts? Uh, I think for, I think for archers, it's pretty positive, right? Just consistently now the second through the end of the month. Um, I think that's nice for archers because they don't have to feel like they're missing out on that last week. Some of the seasons, yeah. you know, we had some seasons that it was, it was over, uh, September 23rd or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's nice for the archers. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad they did that. Um, you know, the rifle season, I'm still trying to kind of get my arms around it logistically a little bit. So what they did was they um, they shortened a couple of the seasons by, I think, like one day. Um, so not, not big changes on that. But they put weak, weak gaps in between. Um, and what I was told in, in the notes on, the, on a lot of these, you know, when they're talking about it, one of their thoughts was that the weak the gap the weak gaps between the rifle season would keep the elk um, from refuging on private a little bit a little bit more so they'd end up maybe coming back on the public maybe not totally constantly being stuck on the private or whatever um, I, I don't know that I buy into that I, I for me I feel like even with weak gaps there's going to be so much activity with guys going leaving can't you know leaving yeah after first and coming in the second I, I don't know that it makes a big difference you know if if any but i i could be wrong on that um the couple less days uh yeah i mean for second or third season that's that kind of stinks for people who are used to hunting those those seasons um but i don't know that it's a bad thing our elk to have a couple less days of rifle pressure might be a good thing at this yeah. point yeah um I think probably the biggest issue in my mind, um, like I said, I think a lot of that stuff's positive, like positive. Those gaps will be nice and, and whatever else. Um, but I think probably the big negative is on the deer. I mean, the so what I was told is, that, so all the weeks are bumping back a week because yep. of the gaps. Um, so like your third and fourth season are going to be bumped back a week in, you know, in, in those coincide with deer, deer seasons. And what I've been told is there's not going to be any quota changes related to that. So to me, that's a pretty draft. I mean, to me, it's a massive mistake, honestly, by the wildlife managers, because basically, you know, like the way the quotas are third rifle season is usually like four or five X, the amount of tags that are during fourth, you know, because fourth is kind of viewed as a rut hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So basically really what this, has done is that you know next year we're going to have four times the rut tags that we did in previous years right ah yeah and so um i would i would guess that i mean you never know right like years can be different based on a lot of factors but i would guess in in pretty short order you're going to see a devastating a devastating effect on older age class deer that's when all the big deer get killed i mean yeah like some random big massive bucks get killed during second season or something but really not you know most of them get killed later once they start thinking about does and they're moving so uh you know when you quadruple the tags or 4x the tags or whatever uh you're gonna have you're gonna have a massive impact yeah yeah no i that makes sense because it 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 appears to be like third season what it was this year is now 
for 2020 going to be fourth season, like around that same time frame, and then fourth season will be even later, you know, which is even further yeah. into the rut, like you said. And and I had no idea that they weren't changing yep. any quotas or, you know, tag allotments. Yeah, um, it, along with that, that seems pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's my. I mean, I don't have any problem with like hunting them later. It, you know, it, it is what it is, but um. And that's fine. I mean, hunting deer in late season is fun, you know. But for there not to be an adjustment, like a like a preemptive adjustment to quotas, to me is insane. I mean, to think that you're going to bump all those tags a week back and you're not going to have a way higher success rate, uh, particularly on big deer. Uh, I mean, you're for sure going to have. I mean, you know. I mean, we a lot sometimes in four season. I mean, this year we didn't have any snow, but sometimes in four season, like the deer, the deer are acting ridiculous. You know what I mean? They'll walk up to horses. They'll, you know what I mean? Because they're they're thinking about other things. You know, so so to put instead of, like in one of my units, there's sixty buck tags right fourth season, but there's two hundred and eighty buck tags during third season. Oh wow! So to put two hundred, you know, to put two hundred eighty into the realm of the rut is like nuts. Ooh. You know? Yeah. So, um. So it's too bad. I think they probably should have had some foresight on that, but, but we'll see. I think, I, I mean, I think, you know, part of, part of the, part of the deal is that I, I think they actually probably are trying to reduce some of the, the, the age class and deer for some of the CP, uh, CWD speculation and stuff like that. So ah, but it, there yeah. might be some strategy behind it. Yeah. I wonder if, I wonder if that's, uh, there's an ulterior motive there or something along those lines, like you said. Um, yeah, I didn't even think of that, but yeah, it's certainly, certainly. Yeah. yeah I, well, I, and I don't think it, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think they're, they're not covert about it or anything. I think if you had a, uh, a CPW guy on here, they would probably say that that's part of that decision process. Um, because I know they've been working on that. So, so I, I just don't have the knowledge to really, it, it to really un- explain or understand that part of it. I just know that there's going to be less big deer in three or four years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to see. And and with that, like, how how have you seen uh, both deer and elk, like, over the last, you know, let's say since you started guiding or even hunting as like a you know a teenage boy, like, have you seen a wave of difference? Like, have you seen it like kind of the peaks in the valleys? Has it like generally? the hunting gotten better over time? Has it declined in recent years? Like what's your overall feel of, of hunting in Colorado for deer and elk? So I can just kind of relate to the, the time, you know, over the, over the time that I've hunted here and deer have gone. So like deer, let's just take, uh, Eagle, the, the, um, units around Eagle, you know, Eagle County, Garfield County, Pitkin County. When I was a kid, the deer hunting wasn't as good as it is now, particularly on the call. Um, right. And then, so, and it was, I would say that it was, they were shot up pretty bad for many years in there. There was deer. I mean, there was say that like some areas have been affected population wise for, you know, like, uh, independent reasons. Like there's been a lot of development in, in Eagle. So 44, yeah. a lot of that, that deer herd's just smaller. Right. Yeah. But the quality is way better than it was when I was a little kid. Um, and then other areas, you know, on the other side of the highway and stuff, um, you know, 25, 26, 35, all that, I would say it's, it's better right now than it was, 
um, back in late eighties, early nineties. Um, and then to me, it seems to have probably peaked like two or three years ago. It seemed like it was pretty, pretty darn good. Maybe it's slightly on the decline flat or whatever, something like that. So I think the deer, um, you know, it's pretty good right now. And overall, like, I don't want to be like negative on any of this stuff, Adam. I yeah, think yeah, in yeah. terms of hunting, we're, I, I think in terms of hunting, we're, we're, we were all born at a pretty, pretty darn good time, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, the amount of hunts that you can apply for and draw right now, like a, a Colorado resident or even a non-resident, the amount of hunting they can do in a year for big game animals is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, it really is incredible. Um, so it's super positive on that end, but I, I would say that like the elk herd, like, I mean, it, it's there, it's way down across i mean from what i've seen across the state i don't know down where you guys are at but in this area in particular um you know which is which is kind of you know well is home to the what they say is the biggest elk herd in in the nation the white river herd i mean there's no doubt in my mind that it's 20 percent of what it was when i was a kid if not if not worse really you know so i i think i think that i think that is is a steady decline um and so I don't know, um, and like you can go on data or whatever that's, that's published, but what I go on really is just talking to other outfitters, you know, guys who've hunted here for a long time on their own, stuff like that. Even, even local wardens, game processors, stuff like that. I, I can't think of one guy in the last three or four years that told me, man, you know, in the unit I hunt, the, the elk are just exploding. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it might be, you know, it's, it's probably locally he, here, and I know the San Juans are pretty much in an analogous situation, but um, that's what I would I would view. The elk are, are on, a, on a bottom for sure. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. What, what do you think? I, I've actually, the one place where I've heard kind of mixed on that is down in that Montrose, that area I've heard, I've heard some positivity. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've really heard it all sorts of different ways as well. Um, I know there was an article that was published last, I think it was last fall that, that basically stated in the San Juan, you know, Southwest Colorado, like elk are declining and, but yet biologists can't figure out why they said like in other parts of the, it was a, it was a interesting article. I have to post it, but like basically it said, in, in Southwest Colorado in particular, elk herds or elk numbers are declining where other areas of the state are relatively flat or remaining the same. Um, but they referenced like predation and, um, you know, ca- basically calf birth rates remained the same um, in Southwest Colorado as it did in other areas, but the survival rate was, was way lower Um so it's like, well, in my mind, that's like that's a predation problem. Maybe coyotes, bears, there's too many bears, um, whatever. But uh, yeah. I, I said I've I've heard it mixed in in a lot of ways um, in myself over the last like four years since I've I've been elk hunting in Colorado. I've I've felt like there's been a decline in numbers, but it's hard for me to tell because I just don't because I've seen the hunting pressure increase as well. So I don't know if it's necessarily numbers versus hunting pressure or just strictly numbers. Um, it's tough to tell for me at least. Yeah, no, I know. I think, I think it's, 
that that's why I try to not read into like one thing too much. You know what I mean? I I, I can tell you like I, I know like in Eagle and Garfield County up on the Colorado River drainage stuff like that. I mean I know where elk winter they wintered like a like last year was a pretty big winter, right? So yeah. the elk were in winter wintering range, and you can go and you can get a pretty good feel for how many elk there are. Yeah. You know what I mean? In that type of winter. And, uh, there's way, I mean, an Eagle, like an Eagle, you know, probably last winter when there was a ton of snow, I bet if you, if you got your spotting scope out and you kind of looked at the, you know, looked at all the, the, fields. the oak brush flats and all that. And, and, and did, you know, you'd, you'd probably see, you know, maybe you'd probably see 200 cows, maybe 180 cows or something, right? Yeah. When I was a kid, if you did it, when I was a kid and you did that, you'd probably see 900. You know wow. what I mean? So I don't, you know, so to me that that's in the realm of not being anecdotal because that it's like, what other winter range are they going to? Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no, I mean, they're not, it's not like all the elk moved over and they're laying in like the, uh, you know, the, the baseball fields in Edwards or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they're still, they still got a winter in these valleys. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at that level, it's hard for me to say like there's, well, it could be, yeah, they're just not, al- they're not alive anymore. They're dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have so, you, have but you no, ever... it's hard, man. I know, I I know what you're getting at on it. I think it's a little bit of everything probably, man. I mean, I think bears probably play into it and lots of different things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, it, with so many factors involved, it's tough to tell. Definitely. I think development, you know, there's, there's obviously something there with more roads, more houses, more habitat loss, um, more recreation in a lot of these areas uh, as well. Um, that that certainly doesn't help. Do you do you think that like do you, do you foresee maybe Colorado within the next five years, let's say for elk hunting at least, do you see more draw um, and less over the counter opportunities and and CP, CPW going to more of a, a draw? um unit structure for elk or do you think that's never going to be on the table yeah i mean so i can only give you my my thought from like uh from being pretty naive i've never worked internally i've never you know i have some friends that are you know working cpw or whatever but having no internal knowledge um i can only go off like my thoughts on how they operate and things i don't see a big difference so to me, there seems to be, you know, first they're going to do this pressure to make archery tags. I think the first thing you're going to see is all your over-the-counter archery is going to go to bull only. You've seen that already in a couple of units. Yep. That'll be the first, that's going to be the first step. And I think if you realistically think about it, the reason that's a first step is because it's not going to have a lot of monetary um, significance to cpw right yeah so you know guy you know it, it but their hope is that it has some effect on, on cow harvest right so if you go to like the the bigger line items like you know over-the-counter bull tags second and third season in the san juans or in the flat tops or whatever I mean, if you look at how much money that generates from non-residents i don't i honestly don't know how, I, I don't know how they could stop it adam without like without immediately being bankrupt you know what i mean yeah yeah so so i think just mechanically 
you know, if you really look at how many tags are sold into these big globs of over-the-counter units, I don't even know. I mean, I might be talking out of line here, but I don't even know that that's a lever they can pull because I hear that a lot, right? Like, well, they need to go over the counter or whatever. It's like I, 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 I'm, suspicious, I'm, I'm suspicious that that's not even something they discuss because they all know that it's, it's like, not going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, – so that's going to be – you know, I, I mean – I don't know what a good analogy would be, but it, it's hard for me to believe. You know, it'd be like Ford saying that, hey, you know, next year we're going to quit selling F-150s. Like, it ain't, it ain't going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense. And, and I don't – so I don't and, – and, and what I'm saying actually is, like, pretty perverse because it means that, like, it doesn't matter really what the biology – says or the science like that's probably <laughs> off limits um that's my thought you know i i just don't know how they would mechanically do it i think the other part other part of it adam is like over the counter bulls if you look at if you look at academic literature on elk i mean a spike bull can breed 50 60 100 cows easy no problem you know what i mean so outside of the fact that it's for sure you know like there's no bulls to kill. Does it really have a big biological impact on the herd to have over-the-counter elk tags? I think that's probably how they view it. Is it's kind of like a, it's a revenue generator that doesn't have a lot of cost to the herd, Got right? It. That makes sense. I, so that's my guess. Um, but you know, I'm, I I don't know that that's the thought process, but that's my guess. The, the thing. You know, back when you were talking about the variables of what's causing it, right? The predation, the all the other. Well, I mean, the trend that I see is that predation is hard to discuss politically because of the politics in Colorado. I understand that. There, there's no doubt that it's part of the problem, right? Um, probably particularly bears. And then the other part of it is all these other activities. You know, people using the mountains. That's yeah. really hard to combat. I'm sure. I'm sure you like you like to do things other than hunt in the mountains. Yeah. So I think maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there can be an element of education or whatever, but there's just going to be encroachment. It's a beautiful place to live and, and do things. So I get that. Now, what seems to be weird to me is that all the fish and game guys want to blame it all on that. They want to blame it all on mountain bikers and ATVs and whatever else, which conveniently is out of their control. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, but what we don't want to acknowledge, and this seems to be, is like, also, in my opinion is we shot too many of them. It's the most straightforward thing to think about. We killed too many elk. We killed particularly cows. We killed too many cows in these units, and we killed too many elk in aggregate. And so, uh, and, and I never hear that discussed. <laughs> And to me, that seems to be like pretty obvious. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like it, well, it and, seems and, like the easiest thing to control, you know, in a, in a, in a lot of ways. And often, sometimes I like think about like just hunting in general. Like, what if we just like eliminate? I, I know it wouldn't be like ideal for on any number, but like just the theory of like, what if we just like didn't hunt for like one year? You know, like what would that what would that do? You know, to the to compounding you know over the next like five years like what would that do for the population and and 
you know, it, it's just a theory. It would never happen. But like, I just wonder, you know, if you cut back, like how, how big of an impact would yeah, that no, be? It's a, but it's a, but it's a, yeah, it's a good theory, man. Like why on some of these units, units were frantic to find a solution. Well, to me, an obvious, like, Hey, let's just see if cutting all the cow tags makes a difference because if we're killing 120 cow tag cows out of this unit a year, if we didn't kill them, you know, for two or three years, that's like what, that's another 600, you know, you accumulate what their birth rate is and all that after three or four years, you've got another like six, 700 cows on the landscape. Yeah. seems to be like relatively like, like it's gotta be a pretty good solution. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think Colorado does have to address the, the the quantity as well as the quality you know i i think i think we're kind of at that point and i think there's a lot of you know and it might mean stepping back the the tags a little bit in order to one increase the quality and increase the quantity i think both of those uh factors are at play in colorado and i think there needs to be something along those lines to help maybe bring it up a little bit um just my thought but you know i i see it yeah no i think no, I think you're right, man. I think it's like, um, and I tend to think these things in like a, in like a business framework, which uh, people might, uh, it kind of makes some people, they, they think it's gross to think about wildlife that way, but I, I it's just how I think about it. <laughs> and I, and I think it, I think it's also the best way to think about like the long-term sustainability of the resource. If you don't think about it like in an economic way, it's not, it's not fair to the resource, you no. know? Yeah. And to me, what you're what you're hitting on is um like like the deer for instance right like uh the well the deer and elk i mean basically colorado has this brand right for like opportunity going to the over the counter yeah. units having the crazy like awesome experience biggest elk herd in the country like this, you know yeah biggest elk herd in the country like let's just take the archery segment of the of the uh of the usage and stuff. And yeah, like bulls bugling, you can go out there, you know, do all that stuff. And so they have that brand, right. And that brand's been around for like ever, you know, since before I was alive and everything else. (laughs) So as they like, as the product, you know, the elk, um, deteriorates and the hunt quality deteriorates. It takes a long time for them to see that in terms of tag people buying tags and stuff like that. So they get away with it for a long time. But I think what happens is people start to people. It just, it is a business from their perspective. Like people start to look at and they're like, man, like I'm not seeing as many elk. I'm not hearing bugles, but it's not as good of an opportunity more like, and then they start looking at other States. Yeah. You know what I mean? They start, they start looking at other, other species even, you know, and that's been my argument with the deer. Like there's not a huge pro like, well, I mean, we, I think we can both admit them. There's not this like pro trophy hunting mentality. It, it that's deteriorating. And I think there's yeah. some good things. I think there's some bad things about that, but like you bring up to a biologist, like the size of mule deer and the, in the quality of mule deer, which the best genetic in the world so it's hard for me not to you know what i mean yeah but if you bring that up it's it's not really it's not it's like well it's kind of irrelevant it's nice that you guys kill a, a you know everybody kills a big giant deer every once in a while we've got a couple of units we manage for that but it's not really relevant right 
I think it is relevant, but they just don't perceive it that way. I think, I think that if, you know, no, like in 10 years from now, if no big behemoth, 190, 220, you know, big freak deer get killed in, in the, in the biggest deer or 160 inch deer, I think you're going to see a massive migration to people just hunting whitetail. Part of the reason come, people come here is that every once in a while, these big, massive mountain bucks get killed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if that goes away, a lot of those hunters will go away. They'll go to another species. They'll go other places, you know. So that's my thought on it. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see how it'll all play out. Part of me feels like, you know how Colorado, they, they lowered the cost of um, – preference points for non-residents like it was like that, that the one year they did it like i think it was 2017 or 2018 was the first year where they were like really dropped it down you know where you didn't have to shell out all oh the money yeah and that get big, big influx yeah yeah. yeah yeah like part of me like has this theory that um maybe they did that so they can get more people to a, to put in points right so then that so then they they can transition to like maybe more draw stuff um particularly on the elk oh yeah you know like see where i'm going with that so that way that when they do transition it over to maybe more draw or less over-the-counter opportunities there's like still a bigger pool where people have the points i don't know if that makes sense but that was yeah part of my theory (laughs) well i i think that there there's been some discussions that are that are public about that adam i think i think part of the you know back to these later seasons part of the hope is for them to drain a lot of these people that are holding high points on deer, right? So like they're going to try to get a lot of the people who have 15, 20, whatever, you know, tons of points to use those points in the uh, later seasons, you know. Got it. And then it's going to make that draw the draw more reasonable for people. And uh yeah, I mean I would guess that, you know, if there was a trans- transition to draw only elk or whatever, the they're, they're not going to do it all at once. There's going to be some incremental yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. I think they'd have to because of the financial stuff we talked about, but also just so they don't blow people away. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's uh, regardless of like the condition of the elk hunting or whatever. There's so there's a lot of people who come here every year, kind of regardless. Yeah, know? yeah, no, so, yeah, um, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's probably somebody out there that I, you know, a lot of that stuff I don't think anybody like really publicly talks about because they don't even really know. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're just kind of theorizing what 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 could be possible. You yeah. know? Yeah, so, exactly. But it sounds like but I need to get people CPW. better than me. Yeah, <laughs> well, it sounds like I need yeah, to yeah. get another episode with CPW, and I need to because I, I had a, I had a, one of the guys. Uh, gosh, I can't even remember his name. Uh, He's it basically like runs the hunt planning stuff, and it was just an awesome episode because we talked about a lot of the changes in in 2018 to the draw system and and the lottery and and legalities and tags and all that stuff, season dates, and it was really cool. But I would like to get somebody on from CPW to talk more about um, the state of of hunting and in in impact of of resources and influx of of development and how all this coincides and maybe give us a, a an overall look into the future of what what potentially could could come down the pipe so i, I probably need to figure that out at some point here soon be good <laughs> oh yeah yeah sure yeah yeah and you might find that they that's just all who knows you know yeah. what i mean yeah exactly exactly 
So. Well, Cliff, this has been this has been really cool. This has been really fun. We, I, we got into a lot of cool rabbit holes here, and hopefully, I didn't keep you around too long. But uh, it it was just a fun no, episode, it's all good. man. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we'll have to do it again, and and uh, appreciate you coming on. And um, you know, we'll 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 keep bringing you back on on for appearances, man. This is this is good stuff. Yeah, really appreciate good. it. <laughs> Well, cool, Cliff. Well, you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you later, all right? Okay, sounds good, man. All right, and there it is, another episode in the books. Big thanks to Cliff for coming on the show. That was a blast, and and really enjoyed talking about all the the high-level stuff at the end, especially the managing the resource, the the elk numbers, the quality of elk hunting, uh, season date changes for next year, forward thinking on what you know, the state of hunting is in, in Colorado and what it will be and, you know, what we need to do to maybe, maybe change that and, and, and keep the quality and, and, and quantity up in, in, of the resource of the elk and deer here in Colorado. So that was, that was really fun. I hope you guys enjoyed that. With Christmas coming up, I definitely encourage you to support some of the partners of the Transition Wild blog and podcast. First and foremost, Skullbrew Coffee. What's, what's better then a bag of coffee, uh, you know, there's no easier gift than that to, to send to a family or friend. It's an easy gift, and Skullbrew gives a portion of their profits back to organizations, backcountry hunters and anglers, RMEF, Q, QDMA. So um, when you buy a bag of coffee for a Christmas gift, you're also supporting conservation. So I encourage you to check them out. Uh, SkullbrewCoffee.com. It tastes great. I love it. So uh, highly recommend them. Uh, another partner of the podcast, Outdoor Edge, makers of knives, tools, um, butchering kits, you name it. Go check them out, OutdoorEdgeKnives.com. And if you use the code WILD30 at checkout, you'll save 30% off your order. So pick up a knife, pick up some butchering kits, um, whatever you need for the hunter and fisherman in your life, definitely, definitely go do that. Check them out, OutdoorEdge.com. Use code WILD30, W-I-L-D-3-0 at checkout for 30% off your order. And last but not least, certainly not least, Expedition Archery. They just launched their new 2020 bows. And if you really want to make a splash in somebody's life, uh, buy them an Expedition Archery bow. You, you, you really can't go wrong. So, uh, again, I love the new... Uh, I have the MX-16, been shooting that thing, and love it. So go check one out at your nearest dealer and uh, really make someone in your life happy. Can't go wrong there. <laughs> All right, that is it. Again, thanks to our partners, Expedition Archery, Skullbrew Coffee, and Outdoor Edge Knives. Thanks again for tuning in, and talk to you soon.